Hey, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Ubuntu Podcast. All right, what's up, everybody? Hello, hello, hello. This is the Ubuntu Podcast. You are on with the one and only David J. Curtis. Who else we got on the call? Come on, co-host, introduce yourself. What's up? Maddie Bultrow in the building. Hey, everyone. Hey, Tilma. Glad to be here again. Yes, NB and HY. <laughs> it's good to hear from you guys. And for those who may or may not know, we are, again, the Ubuntu Podcast, where our mission is to create a radically thoughtful space for the African diaspora to come together to deeply explore how we can achieve, create, sustain, and struggle to really forge what is genuine community and solidarity across the world. I'm super excited. One, happy 2021. You know, full disclosure, we ain't in 2021 as we tape this, but you will hear it. <laughs> You'll hear this in 2021. So I hope everyone beginning of the year looks different than how the year ended you know 2020 was wild but as we go into 2021 there's an important topic that is really going to be central to this year it's going to be the topic that we're even focusing on for this conversation and so i'm I'm super excited we're going to be talking today about mental health we have a great guest all the way from across the pond who's going to be introduced later by the one and only uh, i think nb is going to say something (laughs) about him (laughs) Or Enoch, what are y'all going to say something? This is a conversation that I'm excited for you all to hear. But before we do any of that, and you know, that conversation, we got to kick it off. It's the beginning of a new year. So what better way to start off the podcast than with Africa in the news? Before we begin the segment of Africa in the news, we would like to issue a content warning. Just the following segment contains reference to mental illness. If you would like to bypass the segment, please proceed to the 515 minute mark on this episode. Thank you. Hi everyone, this segment of African News will focus on mental health among the African diaspora. As many of you know, mental illness is very stigmatized around the world, and to help frame our conversation today, we'll take a look at how the stigmatization affects mental health services provided to patients across Africa and around the world. Now, sadly, one of these practices involves the shackling, restraining, and detaining of patients. What is shackling? Now, shackling is a form of physical restraint that's often used to confine people with real or perceived psychosocial disabilities. It can be done using different materials such as chains or even ropes. Patients are often detained in very horrid conditions in overcrowded rooms that often lack basic sanitation, and it puts these patients in very vulnerable conditions. An October 2020 report by Human Rights Watch titled Living in Chains, Shackling of People with Psychosocial Disabilities Worldwide found that children as young as 10 years old are chained and locked in small spaces by their families. This is a global issue, but this practice has had a profound effect across Africa as well. Of the 60 countries that were in the report, 24 are in Africa. In particular, report from the Voice of America really goes into shackling in Africa and explains how this is often done because mental health is considered a low priority for families, also due to a lack of awareness that people have regarding mental illness and the socioeconomic conditions that families often face as it relates to poverty. We can look at the example of Benjamin Bala, who is a Liberian teacher who was shackled to a log in a church-run healing center back in 2003 for 11 months, where he says that he was 
beaten and starved by people who believe that he was possessed by evil spirits. Now, Bala is just one example of a recurring issue across the continent where families and communities are often unaware of mental illness and they don't have proper access to resources for treatment. Liberia is just one of many examples on the continent where there's a lack of medical capacity as well to treat mental illness. The World Health Organization estimates that as many as one in five Liberians suffer from a mild to moderate mental disorder. However, as of 2016, WHO data shows that the country had only one registered psychiatrist. Shackling often occurs in non-medical settings where access to psychosocial support services are not available. And oftentimes, just as the case of Benjamin Bala in Liberia, cultural and religious institutions often attempt to fill this gap in treating patients, often leaving them open to neglect and abuse. Now, in response to this, Human Rights Watch has launched a campaign, hashtag Break the Chains, to end this practice worldwide and with a goal to provide households with access to community-based mental health services. Now, this is a collective effort because, as explained with the case of Benjamin Bala, um, to stop what's become an open secret across the continent and around the world, there needs to be an effort to partner with governments, institutions, faith leaders as a whole. Unfortunately, that is a state that we see with the stigmatization of mental illness, in particular in Africa, and that will take us into our episode where we further discuss this more. So today, guys, I am so excited to have a close friend of mine, Tambo Salave, all the way from London, UK, joining us. Yes, we are going international. So, so excited to have uh, to have Tambo on. He is really just an inspiring guy, and he does a lot of incredible work. Wears multiple hats, I'll say, and I'll just give the briefest intro. Uh, he is a change coach who really helps people grow into the fullness of who they are and, and achieve their purpose and potential. And so he does a lot of personal training and, and coaching, does executive seminars and works with uh, lots of corporations uh, to help them really grow in their presentations and, and the way in which they communicate. And if that wasn't enough, he also has his own theater company and, and pre-COVID put on tons of events uh, throughout throughout the community in, in London. So really looking forward to, to some of those restarting soon. But Tambo, so, so excited uh, to have you um, to have you join us this man and and really looking forward to to today's today's really you know important and timely conversation thank you so much for having me like it's a real joy and a pleasure and obviously now you my boy so the moment that you're just like do you want to jump on my podcast i was like 110 percent and then i'm now an international baby i'm in america now you must hear him i'm a chris on 2021 i said i was gonna do it 2020 i'm, I'm out here i'm out here thank god i i cannot complain <laughs> yes <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's a real joy and a pleasure. I'm looking forward to having this conversation around mental health and well-being. And I'm just understanding a lot of some of the stigmas that people have and the misconceptions that have been generated over the last few years. And again, just to your introduction, bro, like that was dope. Thanks. You did me justice. You, you downplayed my shows, you know, selling out shows all the time with my theatre company, but I ain't going to take offence to that. It's all right, man. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it low. <laughs> Awesome, awesome, yeah. Thanks so much, Tambo. Really excited to have you on the podcast today. As you guys have already mentioned, we're going to be discussing mental health. It's a very stigmatized topic within our communities, especially in the African diaspora. So we're going to touch on that today and really go in-depth and have a convo with you. And we're really excited to to getting to learn more based on your experiences as well. I'm just going to start off by having you introduce yourself, your background, who are you becoming, and what does Ubuntu mean to you? Um, so, introduction, my name is Tambo Salovoy. I'm a change coach, and that 
that means I'm really about people and allowing people to discover who they are on their purpose, but also finding their voice. And that usually comes across through doing coaching around body language and communication, confidence building, but also when you begin to look in the corporate work that I do. So it's all about transformation around diversity and inclusion, around digital and technology and how that's becoming more embedded in the way that we do work. And with all those different systems and different processes being introduced, how do we as people begin to manage and adapt and adopt these new ways of working? And so for me, that's what I've been doing probably for the last five, six, seven years. And I enjoy it. Like I've worked with some of the biggest brands in the UK, ran one of the biggest transformation programs um, in the UK to date. And also worked in government with leadership and helping them understand what it means to really lead, especially within the prison systems and change and stuff like that. And so I really enjoy I enjoy my work. And part of that process, again, is me understanding human beings and us as who we are as people. That being said, it then lends itself to the question, what does he want to mean to me? And for me, it's the idea of I am because you are. And so the idea that we are one group of people that come from the same place. It's funny, one of the quotes, when, when I saw that question, the quote that came to mind was, Marcus Garvey, a village without knowledge of this past is like a tree without roots. And it's the idea of how we are all connected, how regardless of whether we think that your existence doesn't affect mine, I am my brother's keeper. And that's so important. And being my brother's keeper means that I need to make sure that if you're feeling down, I'm feeling down. The fact that you're winning means that I'm winning. And so all of that, again, is about two things, accountability and responsibility. What does it mean to be accountable to to each other and how am I responsible for you and to you as an individual? And the more that we begin to build those things in the, in society, the way the more that we're more likely to create this, I, I like to call it this utopian ideal of the fact that the world would be perfect if everybody was accountable and responsible for one another. And I think those are the things that are taught to us, especially depending on your faith or your religious practice or your viewpoint. For me, that's the most important thing. And then to answer the second part of your question, or the first part rather, where you asked, who am I becoming? I am becoming who, this is going to sound really weird, I am becoming who God has called me to be. And that is to be a voice and a platform for this generation. And to be a voice and a platform could be using my own voice to actually influence change or cultivating the leaders that will be the change that people see. I'm always intrigued to, to be like, who are the people that Malcolm X or Martin Luther King talked to when they were by themselves at their lowest point? Who was it that Nelson Mandela spoke to? Who was it that Rosa Parks spoke to? But for me, those people are just as significant as the people that you see on the podium, on the stages. And for me, if I can't be the one that's on the stage, I'll definitely be the guy that's behind the scenes, orchestrating, as they call it, quiet strength or the quiet power behind the throne. Sounds a bit ominous, but just the idea of that is really important and that's who I want to become to be that person of influence I'm just like that was amazing what a phenomenal listen to all of our future guests that's that's how you open this up okay <laughs> thanks thanks I'm trying I'm trying I'm trying <laughs> Of course, no, that was a really great introduction. And so I kind of want to dive into the topic. And so, yes, we're here to talk about mental health. And so I guess we want to hear from you specifically. Like, we know that mental health is really uh, something that's faced so much stigmatization in not just American society, but throughout the world, but even more so amongst Black and African people. Can you talk us through why you think that is? Really good question. I think when you really begin to look at what mental health is, it's just our understanding of it. I think of recent years, more people, more studies, more psychology, more insights are being given into the way that mental health really affects us on a day-to-day basis. But we haven't been able to give it the language that's necessary. And then when you look at Black people themselves, you have to actually now understand like whether you're in America, Africa, the UK, the context of what our understanding of it is even worse because we are strong, we are proud people. And so the moment that you turn around and say that something that you cannot physically see is affecting you emotionally and mentally and even hampering your own physical being, you think that's nonsense. We attribute it to things like, oh, 
oh, this is Obia. Obia is like witchcraft and judge and like it's all things that are really spiritual to the point where we can't give it a language. And because of the fact that we think all I need to do is pray for somebody or you need to eat a few roots and then it will change your, your mindset and your psyche about a situation, you'll be okay. When in fact, the process about dealing with somebody's mental health, dealing with someone's own internal demons per se, is something that requires a lot of help and actually a lot of therapy and again just adding to the idea of therapy again like before if you were black and you were just like yeah i'm going to see a therapist or a psychologist somebody looking at you like what the heck's wrong with you like do you mean you're seeing a therapist that means you're crazy because there is there's never been a language to articulate what that is when you're struggling with mental health because it's either two extremes and especially when you look in africa when somebody has like a mental health breakdown they're out in the streets and then they're like like especially if they're suffering from psychosis or something they're a bit disheveled they're seen as somebody oh somebody put a curse on them and now they're they're a witch well actually in fact it's just when you look at the science it's a misalignment between the brain and how the electrons and the neural pathways have been aligned and there's just been a disconnect how do you begin to now when people look at medication when you look at therapy begin to align those processes so that people can be okay and a breakdown literally is something that we see all the time like i would say well my final point i'm thinking about even the fact that people said that ever since the studies that talk about the increase in anxiety due to social media and it's the idea now the things that we're exposed to and the world that we're in with all the science and all the sophistication our brains are still being hampered by the most basic thing and so we as individuals must learn to deal and cope with these but then the tools and the equipment we haven't been given to deal with that it's a difficult one it's a very difficult one but now we are changing those mindsets yeah i think what you're sharing tambo is really powerful that concept of now trying to find the tools to deal with some of these things and as i'm thinking about quarantine right we're all at home We've all been at home for a long time. A lot of us since March. And the the image that... And I know you, you guys are going back into a lockdown right now. Lockdown for today, which means Christmas is written off. New Year's is written off. Sorry, I know you guys are going to be listening next year. But like when you hear this, it's like we spent Christmas by ourselves in the house. Do you know what I mean? It's crazy. New Year's canceled. No celebrations. All of that stuff. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And the image that comes to mind for me right now, I was reading this in a book, is the idea of, you know, an iceberg. And with an iceberg, like if I'm in a boat, like on the Titanic, you see, right, you can only see what's above the water. But that iceberg, there is a root below the water. Uh, and I feel like during quarantine that all all of that whatever stuff we can call it, right, that's under under the water or under the surface that we as a society have repressed and pushed back because of the busyness of our lives now is suddenly bubbled up because we have we had to face it. And, and so I'm, I'm curious to hear um, from you, Tambo, how, how do you think quarantine has affected one people's mental health during this time, then also, you know, kind of the larger societal response to vulnerability around mental health? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think quarantine has affected us in so many ways, particularly the fact exactly what you said, that we've been exposed to ourselves uh, or, yeah, exposed to ourselves. And some of the things that we repressed, some of the things that we refused to deal with and we busied ourselves with the world around us in order to distract us from the real issues have now come to, well, they've come to the fore. They're now at that point where I now need to begin to deal with, oh, frick, I don't like my wife. Why don't I like my wife? Or I don't like living at home with my parents. Why don't I do that? And that, again, causes stress that causes anxiety and with a lot of that in regards to people losing their jobs their money of course you it's all gonna come it's all gonna begin to spill over and begin to have a ripple effect and snowball and so i can imagine there being some negative elements but also the good thing about it is the fact that you can um for me some of the conversations that i've been having with people 
about them really now dealing with some of the issues that they really have like in life a lot of the time you can run away from the issues but i always say what the way you exit the way you finish one season is the way that you start another and so a lot of the time we've been running for some oh hold up sorry could you just say that again because i think we need to hear that twice It says the way you end one season is always the way that you start another. And so it's the idea that if you run away from some of the issues, if you run away from your mental health, if you run away from depression, you run away from anxiety, and you don't have the tools to deal with them, you enter into the next season, which is lockdown, which is quarantine, which is work. And then you're just absolutely overwhelmed by all of those things because of the fact that you realize that underneath all of that, you still, it's um, it's broken. There's this, um, there's this great analogy or this proverb that was written, and it talks about a wise man building his house on sand and rock. And it's the idea that when you build something on sand, that means very fragile and you take your time and thinking, let me just make some shortcuts in order to get to where I need to. But then what happens is that when ish really hits the fan and the rain comes, like everything else that you built around you, because of the fact that you haven't got a strong mental fortitude or a strong mental attitude, you haven't dealt with some of those issues, it will all come crumbling down. But in the moment that you begin to build your house on, on a rock, the idea of your, your understanding, your fundamental beliefs, some of the issues that you really know, okay, this could be an hindrance. Let's talk about my, my depression. Why am I depressed? What is it about that? Why do I feel anxious? What is it about this bipolar situation? What causes my triggers in order for me to begin to spiral into that those those behaviors? The moment I deal with that and understand and identify those triggers, I can begin to move and progress with my life. And so those are the things that I think being in quarantine, it's either you've taken time to deal with some stuff or it's really the stuff has now begun to deal with you. It's scary. It's really scary. That last part, that last part was so powerful. That stuff has started to deal with you, right? That idea that if you are not proactively thinking about these things, right, eventually it will bubble over to the point where you no longer have a choice but to deal with it, right? And and this really reminds me a lot about something that David had mentioned in, I think, our last podcast um, or a couple of podcasts ago where he talked about the the year of reckoning. That, That holds true because people really have to wrestle with their true self. And I think a lot of people didn't know who they truly were until COVID revealed it. When you're at home by yourself, you can't distract from all these other things that are going on in your life. You have to face it and you have to decide, am I going to deal with it or am I just going to to, to live in the shadow of it again? And that's the thing, because again, one thing that I found, particularly with men actually, because mentality, which we're probably going to talk about later, is a men, men's mental health platform. You know, it focuses on the idea of giving men the ability to articulate how they're feeling. Because I feel like, men, particularly as men, we are told, told is the idea of masculinity, and we'll get into that later, but we our emotional vocabulary is very limited compared to women because it's either I'm angry or I'm upset but in fact the moment that you begin to increase your motor, emotional vocabulary understanding the different layers that you're dealing with your emotions it then allows you to then deal with some of those things and some of that anxiety and the more that we focus on increasing our motor, emotional vocabulary the more that we begin to focus on and most people would actually attribute and just say yo that's just emotional intelligence well a lot of people are not intelligent then because we need to begin to increase all of that do you know what I mean so it's crazy yeah I think what you can share there about emotional vocabulary so it's really interesting. I, I really look forward to learning more about what that looks like in terms of the programming that you use mentality. Now, can you just kind of briefly share a bit about what mentality is and can you tell us about how the organization was created and what its main mission is? 
dope. So shout first of all, shout out to Ebs, Ali, and Misha, my homies, co-founders of Mentality. They are so dope. And so Mentality is a men's mental health platform that talks about developing, um, allowing men to actually have healthy lives around their mental health, their physical health, their well-being, and also everything that affects them as individuals. And what we do is that we put on events and we hold workshops with organizations and groups of people where we allow men the safe space to begin to have these conversations about how they're feeling. Because a lot of the time what's happened is that um, people are usually stifled stifled in their ability to express themselves. Like Mandem, we just, they don't, they don't, we say Mandem in London, but we don't make time for our boys. When our boys are getting through something, it's just like, oh yeah, do you know what, it's calm and just have a drink, let's go out, let's have some drink. And then afterwards we, we shake a leg, then we'll be good. But that doesn't necessarily deal with some of the answers that men have. Like men needs to talk and we do need to talk. And so mentality provides that safe space. And how it started from enough was ebbs. It was actually started by a woman. And she put on this event and she was just like, some of my guy friends are going through a lot of stuff where they don't have nobody to talk to, but they come talk to me. How about I just put all of them in one room so they can begin to share some of the common things that they're struggling with and begin to create solutions. But not only just creating solutions, but just the idea of sharing what you're going through sometimes does a has a huge impact on how you feel about it. Like they say, a problem shared is a problem halved. And it's just the idea of the fact that I've opened my mouth and spoken about it. I already feel that much better. Now I can begin to mentally deal with the thing that I spoke about to people. And then accountability comes in and you feel safe because then you've got your people that can hold you accountable for that. And they can actually show you like, okay, cool, how are you going in? Like, well, I know it was a rough week last week, talk to me, how are things going? And then by creating that community, moving forward, our mission is literally to do that, to have healthy men that are able to lead healthy lives across the board. And so that's our main mission. Man, I don't know if y'all can't see us who are listening, but I've just been amen cornering this whole thing. <laughs> Y'all are really speaking truth. And I think what's so important about your work is particularly for Black men, everyone has a working understanding of toxic masculinity and we can name these things. They're kind of popularized, but we don't talk as much about the unique pressures that, that come for Black men in terms of mental health because of generational trauma that come from systems of oppression that are uniquely affecting how Black men are able to show up. And when you talk about like emotional vocabulary, there are such strong constrictions around what it means to be Black and masculine that make what you're doing, that work you're doing so necessary. So I, I'd love to hear from you as a fellow Black man, what are the ways that you have been able to essentially turn that stigma on its head in terms of Black men and embracing their relationship to mental health and really redefining what masculinity looks like in that space? The key thing that uh, is, is so funny at Mentality, we're always having this argument and it's just like, it's the idea, and this is just between the core team, and it's just the idea is, is there such a thing as toxic masculinity or is it toxic behaviours? Because what happens is that because it manifests differently in men and women, particularly, you all of a sudden think, oh, that's toxic masculinity. But when we look at some of the work that we do with Mentality and some of the things that we put in place, we literally focus on allowing people to, get, again, there's something that I call emotional vocabulary chart. And so we put on the wall and just like, okay, begin to look at some of these words and how can you describe this emotion how can you describe this emotion all right so now when we're looking at these emotions how do they manifest in you as a man and how can people misconstrue that and think oh he's being aggressive and it's just because i raise my voice it doesn't necessarily mean that i'm being aggressive it just means that i'm raising my voice i'm I'm annoyed but then because of the stigmas around race and the prejudice views around it oh my gosh i'm threatened by this black man and obviously that's when you get all these karens calling oh my gosh like you know that video when it was in the central park that went viral even in the uk we were so upset about that like that's bs man that's crazy but it's just the idea of how people can take which and here's the thing can take positive emotions because it's okay to be angry 
It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to feel slightly anxious. It's okay to be depressed and owning those emotions, but then not making sure that they don't begin to overwhelm us. And when they begin to overwhelm us, how do we then explain that to other people so that it doesn't look like we're lashing out or we're spiraling into a behavior that isn't conducive for everybody else around us? But it's really interesting. I think some of the work that we've done, especially when we begin to look at men engaging and having conversations with one another, is the idea of really being vulnerable. And so vulnerability is a man's ability to actually just be open and deal with some of the again the things that are going on in our heads because it's exactly what you said around how particularly as black men historically there's been so much pressure on us and i'm not taking away from the sisters because the sisters struggles exactly that and there's the intersectionality of that you know black woman and is it like being a black being black and a woman intersectionality crazy and then you see how difficult that is but for men there's also the social pressures of trying to understand what does it mean to be a man in this society the more that we begin to redefine that the easier it us is for us to actually understand where we are on this journey i always say this i say we are the generation that we we have been we are able to select who we're becoming and who we want to be as opposed to previous generations where if you think about it like in the 60s it was like okay cool there was a big war going on and it was a man is just supposed to be the breadwinner he's supposed to be at home he's supposed to work then previously before that i say the war in the 60s well it depends which one you're talking about but then actually when you look at um black men as well it's like it was about eastern civil rights it's like okay cool we just want our civil rights we want to be treated as equals but now we're a generation that has that privilege particularly as black men to be like okay cool here we are on this journey where we're still right fighting for as you can see all the marches all the protests about black lives matter all of that stuff we're still fighting for those things but our main battle now is about the identity of self the wars some of the restrictions and some of the things that we've been struggling with in the past they're not as prevalent as they were before yes we still do with racism but we don't deal with it to the extent that our parents and our grandparents dealt with it but now what that's done is that it's given us more time and with that time now we need to define who is it that I'm becoming? Who is it that I want to be? And the social pressures around that, because there's expectation from your parents, there's expectations from your brothers, your sisters, and all of that stuff. And handling that again begins to create a lot of anxiety for certain men because they because them trying to discover who they are when you haven't been told who you are. It's traditionally again, you see the whole thing about parents, oh black fathers not being there, which has a huge impact about broken homes. Again, all of those things have a huge impact on our mental health and us figuring out who we're becoming and the narrative of who you're meant to be. Man, you're saying so many good things that I, I kind of want to um, hone in on something you mentioned around Black Lives Matter and, you know, what we can call the movement in large terms. I think I want to know if you believe, because this is a, an impression I'm really getting. I find it fascinating that, well, one, movements have always kind of centered around Black men, but I think this particular movement and how people are narrating it is that, you know, there is an experience that Black men are particularly going through and enduring, and people are showing up for Black men who are clearly being victimized and being seen as, you know, they're being the victims of a, viol of a violent state. And so I'm curious, do you feel like this movement has also given space for Black men to show up and, and approach mental health differently? Like, do you feel like there's any kind of relationship between black men and where their mental health relationship is maturing or developing in this movement that is really standing in solidarity with black men and the images that are placed upon them that lead them to be dehumanized really good question because it's and the key thing that you said is the idea that black men were dehumanized because apparently us as black men we were impenetrable in regards to we're bulletproof we don't feel pain 
in. We don't feel anxiety. We just march on and we just make things. And to be honest, again, that's a toxic identity and a toxic ideal that has been built up over years through perpetuated through slavery. The fact that a black man does not feel pain. And now men are actually allowing themselves to say, do you know what? This does affect me. When I see my brother getting choked on the floor, I cry. And so that in itself was a language where back in the day, we already know. They already say that, what? Men men don't cry. And if you're a black man and you're crying, that means you're weak. But it's actually saying, do you know what? I can be cry. I can cry and I can be strong at the exact same time. And those tears are not tears. Those tears are tears of pain because of the fact that you've seen us suffering. And now seeing you guys support our suffering and actually identifying the pains that we're going through helps me to deal with it even more. So 110% agree. It's given us, a again, it's just given us a language or the ability to feel even more some of the things that we were feeling before, but we're not allowed to talk about publicly. But now we talk about it publicly. The conversation has been brought to a public domain and us dealing with it in the public domain has allowed us again to then begin to build a depth of articulation, again, emotional vocabulary, building a depth of understanding about is this wrong? Why is this wrong? Allowing us to question some of the systems that society has set up and created. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that you guys have already shared so far. Just getting that clarity, um, just really getting to an understanding where you can really spend that time in solitude is, is really so, so important. I've been learning that on my own for sure, especially during this pandemic. Earlier, you had mentioned that mentality was co-founded by Black women. And we actually want to touch on that and discuss the role that Black women have played, especially in the U.S. right now with our own election. We saw the role that Black women played in the election of President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Can you just share a bit about the role that Black women have played in the founding of Mentality, along with the greater understanding that you've come to, to realize from the work that you've done with Mentality as it relates to, to supporting Black women? It's so fun. Do you know what? The first thing I'll say is that Black women are amazing, like legit amazing. And, I, and when I say Black, yes, I'm saying Black women are amazing. And then when I look at working with Ebbs and Nisha, their ability to work efficiently and hard at something that doesn't necessarily affect their own personal agenda and putting their hearts in the line for me is something that's so beautiful and so amazing. Their work rate is second to none. Whenever I'm working with them, it's so funny. We had a moment where I was just like, I was looking, I was like, these girls literally just don't stop. And I say girls, not in a like derogatory way, but I'm just like, these women don't stop. Like they go hard. And I think a lot of the time what happens is the reason why it's worked so well is because it needed somebody that cared and was willing to do something about it. A lot of the time what happens is that there are great initiatives that are happening. And, but I feel like sometimes black men do this thing where they're, oh, well, someone should do something about that. And then they just fold their hands and wait for something to happen or something to change. And then a black woman would be like, oh, frick, let me go fix that straight away. And then they go and actually make something happen. And as they're making it happen, black men then turn around and be like, oh, well, it's working. Let's go. And then they literally go and support. Like, you can't do that to my black queen. Do you know what I mean? And for me, that's so important. And I hear that. But black women, for me, especially working with mentality, uh, Misha and Evs, I'll call them self-starters. They need that prompt. They don't need that prompting. There's a problem there. I don't see anyone else doing anything about it. Let me begin to fix it. And what's happened, which is really interesting, because mentality has been running now for three years. I would say over the last three years, we've seen more organizations pop up. So the second organization that came up that was similar to us, it was called the Gentleman's Club. And it was run by a woman. And it was about mentoring young boys to actually be becoming black men. So you get young boys and older men, and they begin to have a dialogue about what, how, how their lives have changed and bring, bridging the gap so that you create this mental system, which was great. And then afterwards, we just recently we partnered with this other organization called The Book of Man. And they're fantastic. And they're a white male organization. And they're talking about dealing with the toxic behaviors that men deal with across the board. And so one thing that we say at Mentality, which is so dope, 
felt was that we probably have access to the biggest male network in regards to mental health platforms across the board. Like when you look at some of the men that we encounter with, like over the last, I think our social media's got over, I think it's like half a million consistently since we started, half a million impressions. Events, whenever we come, like the last event we did, we had a hundred, and this was like, it took us, it took us about four weeks to organize, but we had over 200 people attend the event across the board over the two days. And we're just like, and these are men. We're talking about black men, over 200. And so we have access. And when you look at our mailing list and how big that is as well, we're just like, we have access to this very big community. But this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for two women that decided, I care enough about my brothers. I care enough about the men in my life to actually do something about it. Whereas us men would talk about it, but we won't re- we won't be about it. And so recently, we're seeing a different change in our attitude towards that, obviously because of quarantine and everything that we said before. But their role is so pivotal, particularly in society, especially having the empathy to deal with other people, which men don't always naturally have. And women have that empathy and the ability to connect with um, with others and feel the same pain that they do in order to change the narrative and actually change things for the better. Yeah, I think it's uh, really key that you just acknowledge the role Black women played in mentality and as well society overall, the role they play in really pushing things through and really just um, taking that extra leap. So, so thank you for that. And I think one thing that I want to close with is, you know, we, we didn't talk about this earlier, but your roots are in Zambia, right? And, and so as a Zambian man, uh, as someone who is a diaspora in London, right? If you could speak, right? We ask all of our kind of, uh, all the people that come on this question, like if you could speak to every member of the diaspora right now, right? What would you say? What would be the one thing that you want them to, to take away uh, and reflect on? I would say the first thing is you cannot underestimate the value of exercise. I think a lot of the time people, specifically with men, a sense of national pride is really important. And I think what's happened is when you look at nationalism, you hear that term automatically have people have a negative impact with it or negative effect to it. They think, oh my gosh, they think Hitler, they think racism. But what I'm saying is be proud of where you're from and discover your roots. The moment that you're able to do that, it's the, it's the idea of having a house and owning the house. But the moment that you leave the home, you don't leave the door open so that anybody can just come here and raid it. But then at the same time, when you invite people to your house, you make sure that your house is clean, it's tidy, you provide food, you know, you let the guests sit down, you know, they need to sit down you've got your room upstairs where you actually turn it into your boudoir your bedroom whatever you know you can see my fairy lights all of that stuff what it is is that you are building you need to build a sense of pride and actually know that africa is changing africa is the future i think there was this there was a recent study or not even a recent study i think it was in forbes 2015 i can't remember what it is and it talked about africa feeds what two-thirds of the world not including itself scary not including itself so when you actually look at some of the things that come out of africa my message to the diaspora would be invest back home and actually invest in where you are and realize that the more that you invest where you are but actually invest taking some of that stuff back home would be for the betterment of your generations and the generations to come and it's such a huge thing because i think um, being from zambia the one thing i always tell i'll never forget i went to zambia like my dad passed away two years ago i went to zambia and then i got into an argument with one of the uh, he was basically a bellboy like he, he used to carry our bags to the room etc and i think i saw him walking and it was twice i saw him do this he had like some i think he was eating like some chocolate and he just threw the paper on the floor i was just like bro this is and i know it sounds really superficial really simple i said the fact that you're able to just take a piece of paper and this is twice that i've seen it and throw it in the floor shows you have no pride in your home and your country and he was just like how can you say that i said you don't you don't like you don't would you throw something would you throw would you let would you litter in your own house like no would you piss on your walls like if someone pissed on your wall how would you feel and sorry for the language and they were just like no i feel upset and so for me seeing that shows that you actually don't value the land that you're standing on the moment that you value the land that you're standing on it will change 
your attitude to the way that people treat this land and this nation and this country. And so it was something as simple as that that he looked at me and was just like, wow, okay. And then afterwards, we look, we just, I, I, I'm one of those kind of people, I'll tell you off and then I'll tell you off with a smile and smile. I'm like, okay, cool. That's all right. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to change your attitude about the way. I want you to do that for me. While I'm here, if I see you drop something on the floor, it's peaking it's arms bro so it peak is london slang for it's gonna go down i'm gonna catch you outside and so <laughs> i would say that kind of pride where it's so simple but the way that you treat your land you treat your nation is so important and oh the point that i was making with that was i think it's like 54 percent of i think zambia is uninhabited which is like and it's twice the size i'd say it's twice the size two and a half times the size of the united kingdom so that's huge right and so that's a huge landmass where only 54 percent is uninhabited so that means there's endless potential Potential there. So much that you can discover in the nations. And if that's Zambia, imagine what all the other countries are like. People talk about the overpopulation of um, Nigeria. When in fact, Nigerians, I respect Nigerians because Nigerians hustle. That's the one thing that we know about Nigerians in the diaspora. Anywhere you go, Nigerians hustle. If everybody had that same mindset where you're proud to be Nigerian, you're proud to be African, you're proud to be Kenyan, you're proud to be Ethiopian, Ugandan, wherever you're from, if you carry that same sense of pride, you do better for the nation, you do better for Africa. And the key thing as well is recognizing that we're one people. The only reason why they're is because colonialism right but like when i go to zambia I, it's so funny i could go to south africa i just take a car trip across the border and they're just like oh where are you going yeah, i'm going to south africa come back do my thing and that for me is important to understand that those boundaries the moment we read the boundaries and actually begin to take pride in, in the in the continent as a whole we can then transform the narrative we can then change people's perception globally and we can actually do better for ourselves no it's a great answer thanks so much Shambo, for really uh touching on the importance of, of really being proud of where you're from, your own national identity, um, you know, the Zambian role that plays in the respect that you have for the land of, of your ancestors. It's how important all that is. We want to really thank you. Give you a very special thank you for joining us today for us in a very insightful conversation. I'm sure that our listeners really learning a lot as well. So very special thank you to you. Uh, we also want to ask you, how can we uh, keep in touch with you? How can our listeners connect with you and share some ways that we Stay touch. Awesome. Yeah, just um, all my social medias are all just underscore Tambo. So that's J-U-S-T underscore Tambo, which is T-A-M-B-O. Keep on contacting me that way. Shout me on LinkedIn, obviously, Tambo Salavwe uh, for business inquiries and all of that stuff. And then anything else, literally, yeah, man. Like, connect. And obviously, thank you guys for doing this because I think it's important that we begin to unify ourselves and understand that we're one people that come from the same place. And if we actually begin to have more of these conversations and begin to change the narrative, and I keep saying change the narrative about Africa, but this is important. It, man, and actually changing the narrative about mental health and talk to somebody. If you guys were actually physically out, I'll give you a hug, man. Like sometimes a brother just needs a hug. Do you know what I mean? So give my virtual hug to you guys. Mm, love you. <laughs> hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Ubuntu Pod and on Facebook at the Ubuntu Podcast. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe. You can listen to us on both Apple and Spotify as well. Mm-hmm.